worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes way. He hung up on that cross, and he rose up from that grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the Shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in Was that not a great song? Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thank you so much.
Well, we want to welcome you to East Hills of Baptist Church this morning, whether you're in a parking lot or watching online or uh, in attendance today. I have one uh, good announcement I want to make uh, to you this morning, that next week we're going to start extended session in nursery. So if you have a child, I know that keeps a lot of our uh, younger couples away from church on Sunday morning. But next Sunday, we're going to start extended session in nurseries. So I want to thank Lisa Powell and her leadership in those areas. So thank you so much for that. And we will thank you so much for being here this morning as our praise team just sang, this is a place of praise. So stand with us and join the praise team as they lead us in praises to our Lord this morning.
prayer, I just want to read a passage of scripture from Isaiah chapter 26. It simply says this. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful, Lord, for your salvation, your promises. Lord, we're thankful for your presence in this place today and to know that you go with us no matter where we're at. And Lord, to you alone do we look for our peace. Lord, we cannot find peace in this world. We can't find it in any other relationship. Lord, it is found in you and you alone in this troubled world. And Lord, we just trust in you alone to provide and protect in all that we do. And Lord, we just ask this morning in this world full of lies and deception that you would give us discernment as your children. Lord, help us to know the truth. Lord, this culture is filled with lies that seek to draw so many away, that blinds the minds of those in this world. But Lord, give us eyes to see, give us discernment, help us to know the truth and help us to boldly proclaim that truth and not compromise. And Lord, I pray this morning for parents. Lord, in this world of deception, Lord, it is harder than ever to raise children. Lord, I pray for parents right now that you would give us wisdom, give us discernment as we seek to raise our children to follow you and to honor you in all that they do. Lord, I pray for our children. Lord, I pray for students, middle school students, high school students, elementary school students. Lord, I pray that you would give them a knowledge of your word. I pray that your word would take root in their lives and that they would boldly live for you. Lord, help them to stand when others around them are compromising. And Lord, may you transform their lives as they know your word. Lord, help them to be a reflection of who you are, to be light in this darkness. And Lord, today we also want to pray for our church family. Lord, we are so thankful for how faithful you've been. Lord, you've brought so many through illnesses and sicknesses and diseases. And Lord, I pray right now for those that are even today struggling with, with illness, with sickness, with COVID. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and strength. Lord, I pray for those that are even in this place today that are still grieving. Lord, that you would give your perfect peace, even joy, and your strength. Lord, I just thank you that you are more than sufficient to meet our needs. And for those that are struggling in this place today with depression or maybe struggling with addiction, Lord, struggling with conflicts at home, just personally, Lord, I pray that you would give victory. Lord, it only comes from you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to depend on you and trust in you. And, Lord, we will give you all the praise because, Lord, you are so worthy. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Lord, may you be honored in everything that is said and done. And we, again, renew our trust in you today. We look to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Turn to Psalm 23 and stand with me if you will. This will be the last message in this series on Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. And if you uh, remember when we first started um, this series, I said the first five words are the most important. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is not your shepherd, absolutely none of the rest of the psalm applies to you. But if the Lord is your shepherd, then everything applies to you. And the question I've asked at the end of each message is this. If the Lord is your shepherd, are you following him? And if not, who are you following? Because that's all that really matters, is are you following your shepherd or not? I also talked about how Psalm 23 is kind of the cliff notes for the Christian life because it applies to so many different areas of our lives, right? I also talked about sheep, how over 200 times in the Bible, God calls his children sheep, and sheep are what? Stupid. That's right. Sheep are stupid. That's what we found out. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are dirty. Sheep can't help themselves. And through this, we also talked about how David was a shepherd. But David writes this psalm from the perspective of a sheep. We also talked about how Jesus stood on that great day in Jerusalem and said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd. I am God in flesh. I am your shepherd. Peter said that we long for the day when the chief shepherd shall reappear. Okay? So the Lord is our shepherd. So everything that, that is mentioned in this, in this section about uh, the shepherd applies to us as a sheep. Now notice first, let's just read the whole psalm again. It's just six verses. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And this is what we'll look at this, this morning. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice rod and staff there. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now think about that for a moment. David says in the presence, my, my enemies are going to witness something. They're going to watch me eat in peace. Isn't that something? Now David had many enemies. And David says, if God is your shepherd, he can make a table even in the presence of your enemies. That's amazing to me to, to, to hear that. Then he goes on to say this, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. David would literally say this, my life at this moment in his life, notice verse 3, he restores my soul. He brought me back. And David was basically admitting in verse 3, I, I by my own will went astray from the Lord. He's being honest. David sums, he's always honest. He doesn't blame anybody else. He blames himself. Okay? That's the only way to get on the right path is, is just to take responsibility for your life. You don't have to tell anybody else, but you've got to tell the Lord. Then he says this, my cup's running over. Then he says, surely, that means absolutely without a doubt, goodness and mercy shall pursue me like the uh, Egyptians pursued Moses in the, in the Israelites. He says, that's how much God is pursuing me. He says, shall pursue me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then he, he ends this way, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah to God and amen. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We're so thankful that, Lord, uh, we have a shepherd. Lord, you will never lead us astray. Lord, we as sheep go astray. We just do. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who by their own, uh, Lord, if, if they would just admit it to you in this prayer that they're, they're living astray right now, Father, I pray that by the time this service is over, your rod and your staff will comfort them. Father, there are some people in here that have, uh, Lord, conflicts as Kevin was praying about during our prayer time. Lord, I pray that you prepare a table for those people. And then, Father, some of us here today, we don't know, maybe close to death as we talked about last week. Lord, I'm so thankful that when we transition from this life, our shepherd will lead us into the house of the Lord where we will dwell forever. Father, it's good being, your, being, a, being a sheep and having you as our shepherd. There's nothing on earth that can compare to that. Lord, with all the things that are happening in our world today, it's good to know that we have a shepherd. And Father, my prayer is if there's anyone here this morning or in the parking lot or watching online or who may be listening on the radio, Lord, this week or watching even on our website in a day or a month to come, Lord, I pray that they would surrender their lives to you and Lord, have you as their shepherd. Father, I'm so thankful that you love us so much. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. When you think about a shepherd, oftentimes I think about some person that's kind of weak that nobody else could do the job. But if you look at the shepherds in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, we've talked about this before, all those guys were tough. Every one of them. David was a strong man. Even though he was the youngest, they said, you're going to be a shepherd, but you had to be tough to be a shepherd. De uh, Dale Ralph Davis, and if you can ever buy any of his commentaries, I think you can only get them on paperback off Amazon. You need to get those. He's one of the great uh, uh, preachers of our day. He said this about this text. He said, we need to remember that a shepherd's work was hard and dangerous. And he said, if you want to see how that was listed, in Genesis 31, 
38 through 42, Jacob talks to Laban and he talks about how difficult it was being a shepherd for him. And all they had to do. He said, and shepherds had to be tough hombres. And then he quotes Spurgeon. He said, in, in his encyclopedic treasury of David, C.H. Spurgeon includes a quote from J.M. Porter who describes some 19th century shepherds he observed apparently in Transjordan. Now notice how this guy describes these shepherds in, in the 19th century. He said this, The shepherds themselves had none of that peaceful and placid aspect which is generally associated with pastoral life and habits. They looked like warriors marching to the battlefield, a long gun slung from the shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, a light battle axe or iron head club in the hand. Such were the equipments, and their fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment. And then Ralph Davis says this, Let this percolate in your gray matter. Let us realize that Jesus Christ, our shepherd, is no emaciated weakling. Our shepherd is a warrior. As shepherds had to be. Jesus said this, No one can snatch his sheep out of his hands. Why? Because he, you can't take it. The muscles of Jesus' arm are flexed to defend his flock. He doesn't carry a club for nothing. He is obviously enough for whatever the valley throws at us. Aren't you thankful you have a warrior shepherd? Isaiah 9 and 6 is a prophecy or a prediction about a future event which was written about 700 years before Jesus was born. And we know this passage. We read it all the time at, at Christmas. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to this commentary on the, on the word Mighty God. This verse was written six or seven hundred years before Jesus was born. But it gives us valuable information about him. He'll be, he will be a son of those Isaiah is writing to, the people of Israel, and ultimately all people. Jesus is, as Isaiah says, mighty God, or the strength of God. In Isaiah 9, 6, the Hebrew words for mighty God, and he lists those, can mean warrior, brave, strong, able, hero, experienced, valiant, soldier, capable. El is the word used for God in the Hebrew and can also mean mighty one, great, or heavenly being. Putting these two words together gives us a picture of a heavenly being that is strong, able, brave, experienced, and valiant. You have a strong shepherd. Aren't you thankful? As a matter of fact, if you look at Jesus' life, we see Jesus' powerful authority in John 2, verses 13 through 16, when he comes into the temple. And we're going to look at this in just a, here in just a little while where Jesus goes into the area where the Gentiles were, where the marketplace was, and he saw what was happening, and Jesus takes a cord, and he quickly made a whip from those cords, and then he sent the money changers, their animals, and their customers fleeing. Jesus' authority is extended to the weather, the wind, and the waves, as seen in a wild adventure on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus stopped the winds and the waves when he stood up. The disciples looked up at him and said, What manner of man is this? And that word for manner is the same word that John uses later after he is, leaves the Isle of Patmos and writes in 1 John. And he says, what manner of love is this? That word manner means it's not of this world. The disciples looked at Jesus when he stopped the winds and waves and said, our shepherd is not like us. He is not of this world. And then we see in Jesus' life, when Jesus was scourged, the Bible says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Pilate's like, This is a man. He's not like us. What a shepherd. 
And then in Revelation 19, we see our shepherd will come back. And notice what the Bible says about him then. In verse 11, it says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who's your shepherd? That's mine. That's my shepherd. When you read the first five words of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, that is your shepherd. And what David is telling you is that you have a mighty, strong, valiant, warrior, savior, king of kings, lord of lords, that is your shepherd. Now let's notice three things about these last three verses that I think are very important to us. First, look at the shepherd's protection. Notice verse 4. The Bible says, your rod and your staff, they bring comfort to me. Dale Ralph Davis says this about the rod. He said, a skilled shepherd uses his rod to drive off predators like coyotes, wolves, cougars, or stray dogs. Often it is used to beat the brush, discouraging snakes and other creatures from disturbing the flock. In extreme cases, such as David recounted to Saul, the psalmist no doubt used his rod to attack the lion and the bear that came to raid his flocks. David, the rod, talks about God's strong protection in our lives. God's strong. Sometimes you can't even see it, but God is protecting you on a daily basis. David in 2 Samuel, uh, toward the end of his life, said this. Listen to what David says. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Talking about his shepherd. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. David had been delivered so many times. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. And those are not just mere words from David. That's really happened in his life. He said, the Lord is my shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent people, you save me. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death comforted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. And what David is saying is this, my shepherd has a really big rod, and he can protect me. And then he says, your rod and your staff protect me. Now listen to this commentary by Philip Keller about the staff. He says, in a sense, that staff is more than any other item of his personal equipment, identifies the shepherd as a shepherd. No one in any other profession carries a shepherd's staff. Have you ever seen anybody? I hadn't. It is uniquely an instrument used for the care and management of the sheep. And only sheep. It will not do for cattle, horses, or hogs. It is designed, shaped, and adapted especially to the needs of the sheep. And it is used only for their benefit. The staff is essentially a symbol of the concern, the compassion that the shepherd has for his charges. No other single word can better describe its function on behalf of the flock than it is for their comfort. Whereas the rod conveys the concept of authority, of power, of discipline, of defense against enemies. The staff kept the sheep safe by guiding them along the right path. If one fell in the water, you could use your staff to get them out. The staff was used to bring guidance, to bring illumination, to bring comfort. Think about this. The staff is a picture, in my opinion, of God's Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 
Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he told his disciples this. In John 16, 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is God's active presence in the world today. You don't see it. You don't see Jesus or God, but we see the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus this. He said, it's like the wind. You don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. And he said, that's like the Holy Spirit. You're not going to see the Holy Spirit, but we will see the effects of the Holy Spirit. Notice in John 14, this is one of the most in-depth pictures of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, and I will pray the Father. This is before he went to Golgotha. He said, I will pray the Father and give you another helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may abide. Now, here's two works of the Holy Spirit. He's going to abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So if you're lost, you can't receive it because it neither knows him, sees him, or knows him. But know, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Two works of the Holy Spirit. He's with you and he's in you. Make no mistakes about it. There's two types of people in this room today, saved and the lost. Those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. That's so important for you to understand that. Paul said to the church at Corinth, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Only two types of people in the world today. Those who have the Holy Spirit and those who don't. It's very important. That's why Peter would always, Peter and Paul both said this, examine yourselves to see that you know the Lord because you either have the Holy Spirit or you do not. Okay? There's, the, there's no way that you can just kind of slide into that. There's a moment in time where the Holy Spirit entered your, entered your body. And Jesus says this at the end, For he dwells with you and will be in you. He says, The world cannot receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him. You either know the Lord or you don't. The Lord either knows you or he doesn't. That's so important for you to understand. Is the Lord your shepherd? And then Jesus goes on in John 14 to tell us the, 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 the important work of the Holy Spirit, kind of like the God's staff in our lives. He says he will bring you comfort. In verse 16, the Bible makes that statement. He says, and I will pray the Father, he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And that brings such comfort. He is with you. Have you ever, let me ask you this question. Have you ever been at a hard place or time in your life and someone you know, a good friend maybe, came and walked with you through it and said, we're in this together? The Holy Spirit does that every day with you. Think about how important it is. I remember being in... I've been in so many waiting rooms and all over North Carolina. I remember being at Chapel Hill, okay? And I was going to see Connie Wagner, one of the great saints of this church. And it's just me there and her. We were in the section where they, they work with your liver, right? you got sections in hospitals. And Connie said, there's a lady, there's this lady. She's been here for 50-some days, and she don't have anybody. I said, she's got somebody now. And I went in there, and I said, I don't know, is there a such and Sally Jane Doe? She said, that's me over in the corner. And I said, I'm Connie Wagner's friend. She said, she's the only lady here I've talked to much in 50-some days. And you realize I gained such a great rapport with this lady. I went once a week or twice a week. And that's not a, that's not a short drive, is it, Steve? No, it's not. Just to see Connie and to see this lady. Because when you're in the liver area, you're there a while. Okay. Met her husband, businessman, great guy. He, he got the assurance of his salvation. And they, he would ask for a bulletin. And I would take this guy. Now, this is guy's pretty, he's a, he was a really well-known person in his community. All right? And, and that lady told me, I remember going to see Connie one day, and then I went by his ICU room, and there wasn't anybody in there. 
went to the waiting room and there was nobody in there. And I went back to see Connie and she says, you know what, he passed away like last week. And then that Monday, I got a call from this area and the lady basically just said, thank you for walking with me through this very deep, dark valley. All right. The Holy Spirit is there for you. God's rod and his staff, they comfort you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's one of the great workings of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit will not leave you or forsake you. Jesus goes on to say in this section of John 14, he says the Holy Spirit will be your counselor. That word also means a legal counselor. When you're needing direction, go to the Lord. The worst thing in life you can get, and I say this often, is bad counsel. Read the book of Jeremiah. He just kept getting bad counsel. Oh, it was awful. Be careful who you talk to. Okay, I tell people all the time, the Holy Spirit will never, your shepherd will never lead you down the wrong path. And then verse 17, he's basically saying the Holy Spirit, God's staff will save you. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One way that the Holy Spirit works is like when a preacher preaches or a teacher teaches or even a song sings the word of God is that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. That means cause to see is all that means. That means that only God, see we're spiritually dead, we're blinded spiritually. Only God can cause a lost person to see. That's why I tell people all the time, preach the Bible. All this other stuff cannot, you can get people emotional. You can work people up and get them to walk down here and to pray a prayer. But that don't mean they're saved. Only God can cause you to see. God calls me as a 20-year-old to see that I was lost. Through the witness of a faithful person, through a lot of prayers, God calls me to see. Now listen to what Stephen did whenever he was, before he was being stoned. Listen to what Stephen said. He said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. What he's saying is this, God is trying to get you to see, but you keep your eyes shut. You don't want to see it. That's a lot of people in Alexander County. God's trying to cause you to see, but you won't. You're stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised, as Stephen said. All right. And then he says, you just won't see. You keep your eyes shut. God's trying to open your eyes, but you won't do it. Now, notice Peter on Pentecost. He preached another sermon. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, convicted, ripped apart. That means to rip apart. They were just ripped. They were, being, they were able to see for the first time. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, they, they gave their own invitation. We believe you. What, what do we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, there, after you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children for, and for all who are afar off, that's us, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Whoever God convicts is for you. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Real conversions right there. The Holy Spirit also will call us or guide us. And I've, I've mentioned this in, in the last couple of messages. God has something for your life. He has a plan for your life. Notice Ephesians 4.30. Notice what Paul says. He warns the church at Ephesus, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a word for Christians. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't kick God's staff out of his hand. Sheep. When God tries to pull you back on the path, don't kick 
Don't hit it off because you're grieving the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In the context of chapter 4, we grieve the Holy Spirit by, like this in verse 17 through 19 in chapter 4 by living like the pagans, Paul says. Verse 25, by lying. Verse 26 and 7, by being angry. Verse 28, by stealing another person's stuff. Verse 29, by cursing. Verse 31, by being bitter. Verse 32, especially by being unforgiving. And then in verse in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, by being sexually immoral. Living in sin, the shepherd will never lead you down that path. And then verse 25 of chapter 14, the Bible also says, Jesus says this, that the Holy Spirit will be your teacher. He will be your discipler. The Holy Spirit will. That's why it's so important to be in God's Word. So our shepherd brings protection. Our shepherd also gives us God's peace. Notice this. Verse, the next verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now listen, I want to ask you a question. How many of y'all like eating outside? You like picnics? Nobody? I don't either. I hate them. It doesn't take much to disturb our peace while eating outside, does it? Think about this. Ants, stink bugs, mosquitoes, gnats. Speaking of gnats, when I was in the Philippines, you had to eat with your hands. We ate outside on most meals. I remember uh, being on the a Ligway Island, and I said, what are we eating? He said, the guy caught a tuna fish, but there's, not, there's a lot of us in one fish. So they give you a little piece of tuna, all right, like that. I don't know if he cooked it or not, and a bunch of rice. And what you did is you just ate it like that till you got to the meat. And it was like, man, I found meat down here. That's really good. But in the meantime, the gnats were eating with you. Whatever insects were there were trying to eat with you, okay? I remember stopping at a little store, and Randy got some barbecue sardines. And he said, Jamie, you want some barbecue sardines? I said, I'd love to have them. I'm starved. We opened up the sardines. I said, how are we going to eat them? He said, with your hands. So you're eating sardines, barbecue sardines with your fingers and gnats. I think I took about six down that day. Okay? Why? Because you're outside. You're outside eating. That's how David ate most of the time. He ate outside because he was a, he was a shepherd, right? Think about weather. You never have bad weather on the inside, do you? It's not going to rain in here, is it? All right? Think about bad weather. Think about this. Uh, birds, snakes, bears. I, had, I was sharing this with a person this past week, and they started laughing. You know what happened this week on the parkway? A bear attacked a couple eating outside. Eat in your car, people. All right? Just don't do it. Think about all the things that can disrupt you while you're eating. Okay? But not if Jesus is your shepherd. Now, notice the word enemies. All right? We're not talking about insects. We're not talking about bears. We're not talking about the weather. We're talking about real-life enemies. David had them. David was on the run for 15 years. And you know what God would do for him? At times, he would prepare a table before his enemies. He just would. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have any enemies? You know, the Bible said, I thought about this. I thought about the fact that the greatest enemy that we have is death, right? Death is the last enemy, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And you know in this church now, I've been a lot, part of a lot of funerals, okay? A lot. I've been, with, I've been with our congregation through a lot of that. And you know what I've seen in a lot of cases? That God would, just, God would just do this. Prepare a table just right there for these people. And there would be a peace that the world can't have that would come at the time of death. Just amazing. I've got to experience that. I've got to experience the fact that God in his grace and mercy can prepare a table for the greatest, in front of the greatest enemy at all. See, what David is saying is this. Hey, my, my enemies are watching me eat. They're watching me. See, death has no power over the Christian. 
We all must go through that door unless Jesus comes back. But it is a door. Because God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And you're not watching them eat, they're watching you eat. Then he says this, you anoint my head with oil. And notice that word. Listen to what, what one commentator says, my cup overflows. Finally, David adds, my cup overruns or overflows, referring to the continual outpouring of God's fullness in David's life. He learned that God far exceeds his need. He's not given mere mercy drops from heaven, but a deluge of grace far more than he could ever comprehend. God was so lavish in pouring out his goodness in David's life that his cup could not contain it. His heart was overflowing with divine provisions. This speaks of the fullness of blessings that God has for him and for all believers. Who is your shepherd? If God is your shepherd, Jesus says, I come to give life and give it more abundantly. Your cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word surely means without a doubt, beyond a doubt. If God is your shepherd, if the Lord is your shepherd, goodness and mercy, notice the word follow, that means to pursue you like, like a deer hunter pursues a deer. Or like, a, or, or like the police pursue a criminal. David says every day God is pursuing me. Look at the word loving kindness. That means God's unconditional, loyal love, which means it doesn't matter whether I'm good or bad, whether I'm happy or sad, God loves me and will never leave me nor forsake me. And then David says this. The last thing is this. Notice God's presence, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at the word dwell. That's come from the Hebrew word shab, which means to sit down, to stay. It conveys the idea of making one's abode or home in the Lord's house. Now, this is what's odd about this. Think about this. David was of the tribe of Judah. Only the Levites could stay in the house of the Lord forever. The length of their days. So what David is saying is this. He's talking about this. I wish... I could stay in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and then eternally. Because David could only go on certain days, even though he was a king. David could not be in the house of the Lord every day. David, David couldn't experience what the Levites experienced. And David says, I so love this place. Read Psalm 27, where David says, the one thing I want is the Lord's house. And here David says, if God is my shepherd, eventually I'll be able to worship the Lord every day. Be in his house every day. See, we're so blessed as Christians. And even up to Jesus' day, everybody couldn't be in the temple. Notice this picture on the screen. And I don't know if this will work or not. I hope it does. It may not. See this area right here? That's the court of the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, raise your hand. By the way, you are, okay? So this is as far, even if you knew the Lord, that's as far as you could go. Now here's the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was. Okay, that's you. You couldn't go any further. See this wall? You, if you went past this, it could be death. If you went past this, it could be death. All the way around, 13 entrances here to the temple. Okay? Now, anybody could be here, but if you knew the Lord, now listen, that's where the marketplace was. That's where Jesus, you know, people sold things because that's where anybody could be. Criminals could be here. But if you love the Lord in that day, that's as far as you could go. Because if you went past that wall, that wall, you're in big time trouble. Now, all the females, look at me. Okay? You love Jesus? That's as far as you can go right here. That's it. The widow's might was right in here. Okay? If you're a female and you love the Lord, that's as far as you could go. See this gate? You go past that gate and you'll die. Praise the Lord. Amen? All right? Now, if you're a man and you're a Jew, you could go in here. 
All right, that's as far as you could go. You could go in through the gate in this area. The priest area was over here, and nobody could go in there but the priest. The Holy Holy. That's where the veil of the temple was, okay? Symbolized God's presence. Now, notice the next picture. I'll tell you how serious this was. This comes from that very temple. It's in a museum in Istanbul. It says, it basically says this, and I'll paraphrase. If you're a foreigner and you come past this point, we're going to kill you. In Jesus' name. Well, not in Jesus' name, but in Yahweh's name, right? Anybody want to go to church like that? You get past this point and you're dead. All right, what a blessing. Now go back to the temple area. Go back to the other picture. They were posted probably right in here somewhere. They're all up in here, especially in here, okay? Those signs were up. That's an actual sign that was put up, I believe, by King Herod. And he says, if you go past this point, then you'll die. But then something happened. All right, notice this third picture, Michael. Now look up here. This is this temple area. Remember, Jesus brought his disciples. They didn't go to Jerusalem often, but on holy days they would. And he put his back against the temple and he says, in so many days this temple is going to be, or, or a time is coming when not one stone of this. They said that was so white that you could see it forever. You could just see it if the sun was hitting it. That's the Holy of Holies. They painted it white. And Jesus said, as beautiful as it was, said the disciples would come when they went to the temple, they would just be awestruck by it. It was just a wonderful, beautiful place. And Jesus said, the time is coming when this whole temple, you don't even, there's not even going to be one stone left on the other. And that was 70 AD and that happened. But why are we able to go into the Holy of Holies now? I'll tell you why. Look at this little hill right here. See that little hill? That's Golgotha. Now think about this. Look at that little hill right there compared to this whole area. Isn't it something that the Lamb of God was slain outside the city on a little hill? And because of this, because of this, now look, inside this area here, look, the court of the Gentiles, that wall was there. Notice this verse in, in Ephesians. Paul makes this statement. For he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two, Gentiles and Jews, one. We can worship together now, aren't you thankful? He's made us one and has destroyed the barrier. That, that wall, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Now I want to go back to Psalm 23. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. Friends, who is your shepherd today? The Bible says that when Jesus Christ died inside the temple from the top to the bottom, the curtain was ripped apart. Only God could do that. And from that point on, you and I have access to God the Father. Anytime, anywhere, any place. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. His rod and his staff comfort us. The tearing of the curtain was a prophetic symbol that the earthly temple approached its expiration date. Jesus himself is the new temple, the new most holy place with no curtain barring us from intimacy with him or with God the Father. Now listen to this. The outer court of the Gentiles was nullified by Jesus drawing all nations by faith. The court of the women was nullified by Jesus making male, female, Jew, and Greek equal heirs of God. And the priestly courts were nullified by his consecrating all Christians as a holy priesthood. Throughout his ministry, Jesus demolished barriers symbolized in the temple apparatus. The inner curtain was just simply the last, by faith, 
Nothing blocks access to God anymore. Is the Lord your shepherd? I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And I'm going to ask you just, just quietly to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to make this a long invitation. Beverly, if you'll just play something real softly. I asked you this question today, is the Lord your shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? Five words that can change your eternal destiny forever and change your life now. Is the Lord your shepherd? And then, Christian, if the Lord is your shepherd, are you following him? His rod is also a discipline tool, but it's to bring comfort. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Am I following him? And then finally, why don't you thank the Lord that we have access to the throne of grace? No other faith has that. Moses said, what, God, what nation is like our nation who has a God who hears them when, when we pray? Father, we're just so thankful that you're our shepherd. Jesus, we're so thankful that you're the good and the chief shepherd. And Father, I'm so thankful that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, regardless of their background, regardless of their gender or their race or economic status, that, Lord, they'll be saved. What a good shepherd you are. Father, we love you today. In Jesus' name I pray. And once again, all of God's people say together, amen. We're going to close this service by singing a song together, and I'm going to ask you to stand with us as Sharon leads us in a song. Thank you for being here this morning.